You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Well, we have the stats for July. We're going to look through those, but the question today is, has the bubble popped? We're going to get into the history of Canada's bubble and what we're kind of looking at, the the scale. We're going to look at the stats specifically on what happened over the last month, and then I'm going to share my opinion on what happens next. Also, I'm excited because today all the articles we're looking at are from kind of an alternative media source, Better Dwelling. I like to look at them as the king of bubble talk. They love to look at it from this angle. And as we kind of have Treb releasing their stats and their data, it's very much a bias towards the success of our market. So I wanted to look at it from the perspective of the failure, especially when we're starting to see the numbers beginning to come down over the last couple of months. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. And as soon as I'm done here recording this episode, we're going test driving some cars. Yes, we need, we're having some electrical issues on our curve vehicle. So we're going to upgrade... <laughs> But I guess the question is, do you think I should get a sports car like the new Fast and the Furious movie? You know what I'm saying? But where they got rid of that like long fin on the back of the, the trunk there. Oh, oh, sorry. Spoilers. <laughs> we like that. It's fun in the show. Keep it light. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our show. Hit that like button and leave a comment down below. We love to get feedback from you guys. And we're just doing it out of the kindness of our heart as a broker investor myself. I like to know what's going on in our market. And why not share it with friends like you? That's what we're going to do today. So let's get into, to start off, talking about history. Let's get into the history of the Canadian bubble. As mentioned, we're getting to Better Dwelling articles. The first one is called The Canadian Property Bubble Has Grown for 25 Years Longer Than Any Other G7. So we're going to look at these numbers because they are quite staggering. Obviously, we briefly ignore 2017, but they're good at grazing over things like that. But this year, all things considered, marks the 24th year of expanding home prices in Canada, and we're two quarters into it. This isn't just the longest expansion in Canadian history. It's one of the longest in the world. The current expansion has lasted almost twice as long as the next G7 country, which is Germany that sits at 12 and a half years. The U.S. is under 10 years. U.K. looks like they're floating around just over seven and a half years. So we are well ahead, well ahead of everyone else sitting at 24 years. The length of time doesn't mean they say Canadian real estate will crash soon. It means, it's not going to crash soon. It means the risk of a correction gets stronger by the day. So we have ourselves in a situation where we're almost a quarter century of growth based on their numbers in Canadian real estate. All that says is, What goes up must come down, so that time of coming down is upon us. Within the same week, they published this article. How exciting. Called, it's official. The Canadian property bubbles are now deflating. I think it'll be rather convenient if the market does pick up up again next year if they say we've been 25 years in the making because now they're saying it's deflating. Does that mark the end of a 24-year spree? Something tells me not, but let's listen to what they're saying. The largest property bubbles in Canada have officially begun to deflate. Yes, that includes a beautiful city of Toronto. Last month, we crunched the numbers on what it would take for Toronto and Vancouver housing to maintain its momentum. 
failing an enormous monthly price increase in July. The previous month would be the peak. We're going to talk about some of the stats in more detail, actually, than they have here, but and especially as it relates to Toronto. But while it didn't hit the target rate of growth needed to keep the momentum going, that kind of growth we've experienced like crazy the last year, consequently, June, they say June, actually, the numbers say it was in May, was the peak for the annual rate of price growth. The annual rate of price growth, maybe that's why there's a skew. If you look at actual price for dollars, May was your highest month. We'll talk about that. But now the rate is coming down faster than a billionaire after eight minutes in space. This is going to have a big impact on consumer expectations going forward. Here's how they describe it. Just as you get the FOMO on the way up, you get the FOMO on the way down, fear of being involved. I don't know. (laughs) We got new acronyms every episode, fear of being involved, whatever that acronym is. But now that price growth has began to decelerate, it can trigger the opposite of FOMO response. More people will sit on the sidelines or feel a smaller sense of urgency to buy. Right? Like, I'm not as excited about buying that property because we don't know if it's going to go up. We feel that as realtors in our community all the time. I don't know where housing's going to do. And actually, we start to get a lot of realtors start to take the other side and say, just hang on, just hang on. Or family members that maybe aren't licensed but are kind of giving advice, it creates this kind of this aura of like, don't touch it, you know, harmful, do not touch. Well, they say this causes more price growth to decelerate, which causes more people to sit on the market. It's less economics, more an issue of physics, or as I like to call it, psychology. An object in motion remains in motion unless acted on by an unbalanced force. We've actually talked and we've looked at other episodes that say you don't need the entire market to think things are going to come down. You only need disagreement. You only need a small segment in order to do that, especially when you've been running for 24 years straight. Well, there's nothing more. There's nothing fun about decelerating, like going down, right? I mean, there's so much fun and excitement and accelerating, right? Like in French sports cars, (laughs) Uh, baguette. (laughs) Anyways, moving on. More serious. Let's look at the stats from July, 2021, because we're hearing things are coming down, things are crashing and it's due. Well, let's look at what actually the numbers are saying and what it means for us. I wanna start getting into the opinion of what it means for us as we look to the future. So here's the first question. Did prices peak already back in May, 2021 in the GTA? Well, a lot of this actually gonna come, thank you, Scott Ingram on Twitter for a lot of this kind of insight behind the veil of the stats that Trev publishes. He actually mapped out the GT average price month by month. Here's where we are. So January, you're sitting under 970. Listen to this jump. February, we were sitting 1,045,000. Then in March, we were almost at 1.1. It was sitting at 1,098,000. From there, so in March, we saw it come down slightly to 1,091,000, pretty much flat. The following month, it actually went up 10 grand in May. So we had what we sat in May, that was the only month this year we sat over 1.1 million. Since then, June, we were at 1.09, and July, the stats that just came out, 1.062. So based on sheer numbers and average price, our best month so far in 2021, and what probably will remain the best month of 2021, unless things go absolutely off the rails again, was going to, and is typically May. Funny enough, although we had a very early spring this year, if we look at historics, I'd say from what I've seen, 70, 80% of the years, May is the best year. Obviously, we've had some weird years recently, but May is normally the best. So 
Though we had an early spring, things seem to be maybe back to normal, which if there's any indication in there tells me we might have a normal fall. Not to see the prices rise to the same level we saw back in May, but if we're following a normal trend, you would expect that your fall, your fall months, the success of our market would happen between now, the second half of August, let's call it, until the first half of October. Usually you kind of see the real numbers happen in September, but we'll see. I mean, this just kind of sets the tone a little bit. So the reality though, is a lot of people will say, Hey, like the best time to, and this is like any year. I mean, we see this happening right now, but again, bit of a lesson may, we typically see prices at their highest. The reason is actually the housing mix. It's not so much that there's been more houses and everything's gone up in value, though. That's maybe part of it. The bigger explanation is that earlier in the spring, you get first time home buyers moving in in February, March, and then they move up March, April until we get to the more luxury higher end homes selling in May. So we see actually a shift in the type of homes. And we actually see that in the numbers, because when we break it down from May, you would assume prices have come down. Well, in reality, when we go from the home price index, which is by housing type, we actually see in May, the prices were at 1.045. And in July, they sit at 1.05. So we're actually up by just short of $50,000 in the last few months since May. Again, once you look at it from a housing type perspective, right? So I think this is, I think, more important. It's not the stuff you're going to hear about. It's, it's really hard unless you really dive into it to see those numbers. In reality, for what you're getting, you're actually paying more. But what's happening later in the year is there's less of those high-end, expensive, single, low-rise homes that are selling. And so the numbers are skewed. And we see that in the sales numbers as well. Condos are outselling the low-rise as far as year over year sales and month over month sales as well. So I'd say, so he says that prices have remained relatively flat. So no, they're not crashing. Don't let someone convince you they're decelerating. In fact, from a housing perspective by type, they're actually flat based on these numbers. So let's jump into the different types. 416 freehold, what's going on? Still over half of freeholds, that's detached semi and rows, are selling for over the list price, which is obviously artificially low. And that is, that marks the second most in a July after 57% in 2016. So we have, we have for July, an exceptional year, like we haven't seen since 2016, which obviously led to an interesting 2017. We saw prices come down from there. We saw a lot of things drop off around that time. And this is obviously in the freehold space specifically. Some people for years after this were trying to recover. So so you'd say we're having a bad month. Things are coming down month over month. Prices have been dropping for the last several months. We've seen that even in articles here. But in reality, this is other than the last quote unquote bubble we saw in our market in the freehold space. This is the second highest as far as the, the price, the number of homes that are selling over asking for this month. Now, when we look at the condos, also in the 416, on the condo side, that's apartment and towns, all condos, two in five are selling for over the asking price. Again, asking price being low, but shows you there's still a lot of competition. Don't think, oh, now that said, this may be an opportunity for you to get in. We'll talk about what happens next. And that decision is ultimately up to you. But I think it's important for us to recognize there's still for homes that are desirable, for homes that can meet your COVID needs and let's just be honest, the same homes everybody loves. A lot of people like the exact same stuff. Those homes, those top 
20, I guess 40% of homes are still selling over asking. That beats the July record. So that is the record for July of 21% sent last year. So last year was the most intense July we experienced in the condo space. This year is now the new most intense year. So I guess the question is, are things dropping, right? Because we just heard they are, things are decelerating to the point where people are freaking out and they're, they're, they're covering their eyes. Well, first, let's look at sales. So yes, from last July, sales are actually down 18%. But last July, you'll remember, as we saw with the condo space, was crazy. It was crazy. If we go back to a more normal year, 2019, let's scrap 2020, the July sales were 8,555. So it's actually up 10% from that. So take 2020 out. We have still very high number of sales. Sales are still strong. They're slowing down month over month. July is 15% less than it was in June. But what are we talking about here, guys? What is that? Seasonal, seasonal, seasonal. <laughs> Three times ingrains it in your mind. Year to date, we're at just just under 79,500 in record. 2016, the year-to-date July numbers was just under 70,000. So 2021 is still comfortable on a record sales pace. We're still comfortable in a record sales pace. We're outpacing the 2016 numbers, which was the best year-to-date by actually quite a long shot. So that's going to say 2021, even if things do slow down, is going to be an, an amazing year as far as number of sales go. There you go. So let's move on. What comes next? What are, what are some of the indicators that I'm watching besides months of inventory? We talked about that. Months of inventory have been pretty low. But they're, they're sitting consistently. I won't get into that. But I want to point to a couple other indicators I think are really painting the picture of a strong, I repeat, strong next portion of 2021, the remaining months ahead of us, especially as we round into the fall. The biggest one right now is the sales to new listings ratio, guys. If I'm looking back since 2018, for the 416, we are just below 2019 from the sales and new listing ratio. That ratio sits at 64% sales and new listing ratio. That means things are flying off the shelf. There's more that puts us in a seller's market. So naturally prices appreciate in a seller's market. If we came below 60%, now we can have a conversation about being in a balanced territory, which would mean flat prices, but we are nowhere near a 40% or sub 40% amount, which would put us in a buyer's territory, nowhere near. And that's in the 416. In the 905, I mean, you want to talk about where markets are going to still have some growth. The 905 is showing excessive sales to new listing ratios, excessive still. It was bad. It was actually worse in some areas. You guys will recall we were over a hundred percent in some areas. Well, even now today with all the cooling, the sales to new listing ratio in the 905, it sits at 92%. We haven't seen that since before 2017. It just, it doesn't exist. Maybe in these little markets, but overall, these numbers are astronomical for the month of July, for the month of July. So these things both point, as a GTA average, we have 75% sales and delivery ratio. That naturally will indicate prices are on the way up. We would expect that we would see active listings dropping because we have sales outpacing new listings. And that is exactly what we see when we look at Toronto active listings. The Toronto area is actually down in active listings in July by 36%. When we look since 2018, which 2017, 2016, were a little bit off the charts, but since 2018, and obviously 2020 was a little weird too. Since 2018 though, we are seeing those numbers dropping quite a bit. We have the lowest we've seen in the last five years, down 36% year over year in July for active listings. 
which is expected with our sales to new listings ratio the way that it is. The other component that's a big part of this is this investor, the investor buying up properties, you know, pricing people, the average Canadian out of their house, but they're only going to do that if there's profitability. Obviously, we've got equity growth that's been doing very well in the condo space, but you can't just rely on that. There's got to be some kind of rental. I think the numbers were, again, this was from a skewed survey, but the numbers were, I think, 50% of these that are purchased as investments are used as a rental property. Well, what about the rents then? Are, are rents increasing? Well, Sure are. <laughs> the average monthly rent in the city of Toronto is going up so fast, so fast. A few months back, I remember thinking, this is, an, this is a trend we're going to see rise and rise and rise. And people are like, I don't want to call it a trend. I don't want to call it a trend. I think everybody's calling it a trend now. Guess what, guys? This increase is crazy. When we look at condos rented in the city of Toronto, they're pushing 2,400. They're like, it's going back up very quickly. When we look at the numbers, it was, it was below 2,100 before. So those numbers are rising and this is only in the last few months. I expect that to continue, but it also creates a lot of optimism in the investment community. Maybe people are sitting on a primary residence condo and they want to buy another place and keep their condo rented out, but they're not collecting the rent that they want in order to do that. Well, they're starting to look more and more promising when they get to the peaks of the rent rates. We start to get back to where we looked in the last couple of years. Maybe there's an opportunity in there. Maybe, maybe, maybe. That said, the rent rates are still 10% from the peak that they were. But in the last few months, again, we're seeing this massive increase. So we'd expect that to go up. Monthly rents are rising like Irish car prices these days. They're doubling. <laughs> and let's get into my opinion. So you're getting a little bit of it here, I think. But here's my thoughts aside from, you know, based on all the stuff we got. So I expect things are looking more and more in line with seasons. Unless something goes crazy like we saw last year where people are doing things a little bit abnormally. I think things are a little bit more back to normal. So naturally, my intuition says we're going to see a seasonal bounce, a seasonal increase. That is the number of sales and price, average price. We're also seeing tighter market conditions, and I think that will continue with the sales to new listing ratio the way it is. I would expect active listings to continue to drop. Months of inventory, therefore, will obviously drop as well. Do I want this to be the case? No, I, I love the fact that there's an opportunity for my buyers to find a place. There's an opportunity for my sellers to know there's opportunities out there for them to buy once they sell. We love balanced market conditions. In the real estate community, that is what we like. Yes, we like prices high because we like commissions higher, but more important is that we can actually do our job. In multiple offers, when things are crazy, that is not a healthy work environment. That is the stuff that gets people quitting their job, not signing up uh, in order to join. Also, increasing rents means condos will become a better investment. I believe that will add extra pressure, especially if we see immigration rise. And we'll talk about that in a second. But the other thing that I believe is kind of an unknown that we haven't really had to deal with, at least in the negative aspects of it, is interest rates. If anything, interest rates are a big reason why we've experienced the growth that we have. We can't do another article other than Better Dwelling. So we're going to stick with Better Dwelling and what their perspectives are. I believe it might be a little bit extreme, but that's okay. I want to take the high, I want to take the extreme of the extreme. What is our worst case scenario of mortgage rates? Here we go. Next year, they say, is going to be a big one for mortgage rates. If the economy recovers as expected, I love how they think the economy's not recovering. We got a lot of problems, there's a lot of issues. But when it comes to we're going to get interest rates rising, all of a sudden it's like, Economy is going to do amazing. And then this is going to, it's like, what do you get? They want their cake and they eat it too. But the median five year fixed rate forecast works out to, at the high end, 3.1% by the end of Q3, which can lead to an 11.5% reduction in buying power. Now, that 
that triggers me on the real estate side because we know that CMHC is already creating this 5% um, entry barrier. So, however, I guess beyond that, yes, there is a reduction in buying power. Maybe not a, the qualification was higher, but now you're actually getting less for what your money is. And, and I think people will see that. I think people will feel that as well. I mean, we definitely felt it when it came down. But keep in mind, they said the stress test rate may also adjust higher as well. Now, that's a good point because now you're taking it from this kind of slight increase in interest rates and you're actually a, you're, you're putting that rate across the board in the stress test. Here's how that works out. So from a renewal perspective, a $500,000 mortgage, where can you get one of those these days, with a five-year fixed rate of 2% would pay around $46,000 in interest over the term. If that rises to 3.1% next year, the cost of interest over the same period would be $72,000. Twenty-six dollars over five years is a decent chunk of money to spend over, uh, actually, that's, yeah, over those five years. That's, that's quite a bit of money. Can the average person afford an extra $5,000 for that increase? Some people can, but not everybody. So I think this will have an impact whenever we see interest rates dropping. Obviously, that stimulates purchases. And the exact opposite is true as interest rates rise, which they need to in a growing economy. The inverse happens and we start to see people fleeing. But the big question mark, I kind of left a cliffhanger there. The big question mark, too, that I don't have an answer for. I don't have a phone book that I can go into. In fact, we don't even have phone books anymore. COVID, wave number four, what does that mean for our prices? The waves so far have seemed to increase our values, not naturally, artificially, because we have government support that kind of goes behind the closures. Are we in fact going to get closures? Are we going to see something like a passport where you don't need to see those closures? I don't know. And this is why this remains a big question mark. But all factors that we have, actual factors in front of us, actual statistics, to me, says we're going to see a relatively strong second part, or I guess we're beyond the second part, but remainder of 2021. Time will tell. Man, my, um, my, this is just my, for, what is it called? Fortune ball? <laughs> That's my ball of fortune. But you guys, I'm sure, have your own thoughts. Please leave those in the comments because... Obviously, as I'm formulating my thoughts, I want to know from other educated investors what they think too. If we don't have multiple voices, then you just got a loud dude yelling into the microphone. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our channel, like this video, support it, share it on Instagram and tag me at Watson Estates, and I'll see you next time. Take care and keep it real.